So what is wrong with this world? Uh, let's count the ways. This could be a long message. Uh, you know, I, I think there are not too many people, whether they're Christians or not Christians, and no matter what their political persuasion, that would say, you know, what wrong with this world? What are you talking about? Everything we see is A-OK. And so we look around and we see all kinds of different types of, uh, of evil. There's everything from uh, called natural evil. Uh, I mean, recently, the, the fire that was in Hawaii and the lives that were claimed with that, moral evil, there's all kinds of things that we recognize that are wrong in this world. So this message is not going to be a rant about all the individual things that are wrong with the world. Instead, what we're going to try to do here is I want to try and give you a framework to interpret your reality. A framework drawn from Scripture that once we realize what's going on, this helps us to make sense of, of life, of reality. It's like having a roadmap. A roadmap is good and helpful when you find this actually matches reality that you find yourself in. And it's not just a fantasy thing. And the Bible gives us this type of roadmap that makes sense of our reality. So we're going to be talking uh, this week especially about what is wrong with this world. And the first thing that I do want to talk about with this as we think of all the things that are wrong with this world is automotive design. Maybe you didn't expect I was going to go there. Talking about automotive design. But this is what we're going to talk about for a while. Because as intelligent as we are, with all of our technology and math and science and all of this and engineering, uh, think of the, the cars and improvements that are made, but all the problems there still are with automobiles. All of the design flaws. So I have here a picture of an automobile. And I want to point out, as we look at this, uh, some of the design flaws. And maybe as you study this vehicle here, uh, you'll be able to notice what some of the design flaws are as well. When the manufacturers, they design this and they put it together. Now, I know not everyone here is an, is an engineer, so I, I will point them out to you, all right? First thing I just want you to notice, and if you look carefully on this, you notice the, uh, the wheel that is the front uh, driver's side wheel. Um, notice the way that it's like turned at like a, a different direction than the other wheels. That's bad design. Okay, it's bad design that it's like that. Uh, it's, with, it's not even perpendicular to the, the hubcap and everything. And I know that's bad design because what's going to happen there is that car is going to pull in a certain direction. Uh, it's not going to be good for, um, for mileage on that vehicle. That tire is going to wear unevenly, and it is uh, just, it's going to affect its handling. Ideally, if they were designing this right, all of the, the wheels should be straight and going in the same direction, and you want them that way. So that, that's one thing. If you, if you look carefully, too, there's a few other things. Uh, if you notice the way that they designed the hood, okay, the way they designed it so it's sticking up over the windshield, I don't know if they thought of this, but designing it that way is going to make it nearly impossible for the driver to see where he or she needs to go. So I don't know what they were thinking when they designed the hood, popped out like that, and uh, blocking the view. An ideal design would be so that it doesn't obscure that view at all. Yeah, look at this too, and you know, it's, a, it's a Volkswagen. And the Germans are supposed to be so great with their engineering. 
and yet they design a car that, <laughs> that looks like this. Um, you know, the, the bumper, they designed the bumper to be dragging on the ground. That's not good protection. That's not going to be good for, for mileage or handling. In the driver's side door, the concaveness of that, uh, that's not good for airflow. It's not going to make it good for people, easy for them to get in and out of this car. So there's quite a few, and I think we could find other things as well. And the only thing that I can conclude as I look at this is that this car was designed by an idiot. Okay, that idiots designed this car, because why would you design a car like that? Okay. Enough pretending. Obviously, as you look at this, no one thought uh, that they actually designed the car to be like that. No one looking at this thought, uh, yeah, I don't think they designed it in the blueprints for the bumper to be you know, dragging along the ground. Instead, we look at this, and obviously this car has been in an accident. It has been damaged in an accident. If I actually thought, though, that this is how they designed the car, then really, I could only rightfully conclude that it was designed by an idiot, if that's what I thought. Or maybe I think, well, this car maybe just wasn't designed as, at all. You know, that maybe somehow it came together as, as some kind of an accident. Um, there, there is no designer, uh, because who would design a car like that? It must have come together in some other type of way. Here's the thing. There are people who make the exact same mistake when they look around at the world that we live in. When they look at their life and the world that they find themselves in. And they look around and they see sickness. And they see earthquakes. They see violence. And they conclude that there, there simply can't be a perfect God who designed this world. See, we live in a world of conflicting data. When we open our eyes and we see the world that we live in, uh, there's some data that seems to point one direction and other data that seems to point in another way, and they're in conflict with each other. When we look at the world, there's obvious that there are things that do point to design. Um, in fact, you know, if you look at this car, you can still see things that are very obviously designed. And if you climbed inside, you would also still see things that are probably very well designed. And you could see that. And you would still have to conclude this, this has to be designed. This couldn't have just been a work that came about by chance. This isn't a, a, like a tornado blew through a junkyard and just created this. That, that wouldn't happen. That this car was in an accident, but it's not the result of an accident. It didn't come about that way. There's even some parts of the car that would still work and would, would still function. So this car reminds us that many things in life that we think are design flaws are actually the result of a good creation that has been in an accident. Many things as we look around and we see the, uh, the pain, the evil, all these things in the world, that we think, are, why would a designer do this? This, this can't be the work of a, of a good, competent, loving, all-powerful designer. Well, the reason is that the Bible explains that there was a good creation that was made, but it's been damaged. It's been affected. It's been in an accident. 
in this world right now, though, we do see a combination of both design and dysfunction. We still see that. There is beauty in this world. And there's also ugliness in this world. There's both of these things. And it doesn't take us long to look around and see both of those. But I hope you also see the beauty that is in this world. We see nature. We see the things that God has designed. And Romans chapter 1 tells us that uh, that nature declares, creation declares the glory of God. That we can know from this world that there, that there is a God. He is, he is powerful. We can't know everything about him just by looking at nature, but there's some things we, we can know. We look at the, just the beauty of the earth. Uh, we look at the design that we see in planet earth. And statistically, it is mind-blowing, even with all of the galaxies and all of the stars and all the possible planets that could be out there, uh, statistically, it is mind-blowing that there is even one planet in the entire universe capable of supporting life. There's so many things that had to be just right for life to appear on this, uh, to, to exist on this world. We think of our bodies, and you can think of things that are wrong with your body. Think of all the things that work in your body. It's amazing, you know, feat of engineering that we can look at. So there is, uh, there is design, there is beauty in this world. But other people look at the world and they see all of the things that are, that are badly bent out of shape. And they ask, well, why would a God do that? They, they look at and they see the, the flaws, the mistakes, the pain, the misery, sickness, death. And some conclude that, well, there just can't be a God. Many people look at the disorder in this world and conclude that there simply can't be a God. It wouldn't make sense. If this world is designed by an all-powerful God that is good, then... And why is my family such a mess? And why did my parents get a divorce? And why is my body so screwed up? Why is my marriage such a disappointment? Why do I have this disease? Why is my friend sick? Why did my friend get cancer? Why did the person I love die? Why was my baby born with a health problem? Why did all those people die in a, in a wildfire, in earthquakes? And say, why do I have desires I'm not supposed to have? Why do I have all these things going on in my heart? Why does my family fight so much? Why is there so much hurt? Why is there so much pain? And some people, when they, we look at those things, what they conclude then is that there, there really must not be a God. But the key that we get from Scripture is to remember that if this world was a car, it did not roll off of the assembly line like it looks right now. In the same way that this car that we, on the screen did not roll off the assembly line looking like that. Something happened to it. In Romans chapter 8, we get a, a description of the world that we find ourselves in. Let's read Romans 8. We'll do 18 through 22 this week. We'll save some of the verses for... Uh, for next week, the second of this whole two-part mini-series. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longings for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it 
in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So even in this section, we look at this and notice all the things. It talks about creation, okay? So it is telling us in the biblical worldview, this is a created world, okay? It's not an accident. It's not the result of an accident. It's something that was designed, created, brought into existence. But looking at this passage also, uh, written by the Apostle Paul, this is written after the time where Christ came, he uh, lived, he uh, died, he rose, Uh, The gospel is being taken out to the world. Paul writes this to Christians that are in Rome. And notice what he talks about, about life today, for the sufferings of this present time. So in this present time that we're in, there is still sufferings. And notice all the things that it talks about with suffering, dysfunction. I'll highlight these for you here. Verse 18, the sufferings of this present time. In verse it's verse 18. In verse 20, it talks about creation was subjected to futility. You think of what futility is. You're trying to accomplish something and it's just, it's useless, it's futile, it's going nowhere. It's the opposite of being productive. And how many things in our life we think, what a waste of time, why did this happen? Things are not working right, things are breaking down, it's futile. Verse 21, it says creation itself uh, one day we'll be set free, but now it's in bondage to corruption. Think of what corruption is. Things are, are not right. Things are getting worse. That uh, your car, uh, cars get rust. Things fall apart. Things don't uh, just get better and better on their own. They, they, be, they become junk. They uh, atrophy. They decay. And that's what we see in the world around us, and that's going to be true of the things that you own. That's going to be true of uh, your body as well in due time. Um, in bondage to corruption. And talks about the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's part of where we find ourselves in life today. So the Bible is very honest that there is suffering, there's futility, there's frustration, there's corruption, and all these different things. But we can tell that even from this passage, that's not how it originally was. And we look at the Bible and what it explains right from the very beginning. We look at the book of Genesis. And that's why the book of Genesis is so important, especially those first three chapters. That when we read that, we see and we just keep needing to remind ourselves of this, that, that God created this world. Okay, so it was created by him. It was designed by him. And Genesis 1 gives all the credit to to God doing this. He didn't outsource it. And that, well, God, he wanted it to be a good world, but the subcontractors, they screwed it up. God took personal responsibility. He's the one making this world. And each step along the way declared that it is good. And at the, the crowning achievement, he creates Adam and Eve, our first parents, humanity. And he says, it's very good. And so you have Genesis 1 and 2 and you have the original creation and things are good until you get to chapter 3. Because God told them, I'm giving you all of this. I'm giving you all of these trees, everything you can eat from. And you are free to eat. You can enjoy all of these things. Don't eat from one tree. I'm telling you this. And of course, what did they do? And yeah, they were tempted by the devil through the serpent. But they decided, we're going to do the one thing God told us not to do. 
And it wasn't as much that it was some kind of, the, the, it, was some, the, the, it wasn't the poison apple or something that it was uh, the fruit in itself, but it's what they did. They, they turned away from God, and instead of realizing that God is the one that he deserves to call the shots, he created this world, he designed this world. We need to live for him in obedience to him, and he is truth, and he is life, and he should be our treasure, and we should trust him. Instead, they said, I think we know better than God. We can do a better job of this. And he's holding out on us, and they distrusted God, and they rebelled against him and disobeyed and did what they weren't supposed to do. And when that happened, everything changed in this world, that they broke the world. Death came into the world for Adam and Eve. And the Bible tells us that Adam's sin, it's pinned on him specifically, didn't just affect him, but, but everyone that came after him. Because we're all in Adam, we're all connected to him, and he is the, the team leader for all of human race. And it affected creation as well, too. All of these things that are wrong in the world. Because we now live in a, a cursed, a broken, a fallen world. And that's what's referred to as the fall that there was creation, it was good, and then when humanity, our first parents, they uh, rebelled against God, and after that, the fall with curse, dysfunction, and with death. So we see that the Bible and this biblical storyline explains both the design and the dysfunction that we see in the world that we live in. And again, I want to say, yes, there is design in this world. The broken in this world is uh, something has to be good before it can be broken. But there is design in this world. And, um, you know, uh, before Charles Darwin came and he had the theory of evolution, um, shortly before that time, there were a lot of people that they understood that there was design in this world and they argued for the existence of God based on the design that is in this world. And there's a valid place for that. I think Romans 1 does talk about it. Uh, but some people, they were very enamored with proving God and uh, theology even just from what we see in this world. And so an example of this, um, well, someone that uh, in 1802, there was a book written by a man named William Paley it's called Natural Theology, and there's actually some really good things. Uh, he has this illustration, which I think is very helpful. Think about this. He says that if you were walking along a, let's say, a beach, and you found a, uh, like a watch that was there, and you didn't really kind of know what it was, and you picked it up and you examined this thing, and you really look at this, and remember, this isn't a, a digital watch back in that day. This would be, you know, gears and springs and everything. And they had some really intricate, you know, watches uh, and clocks and different things. But if you didn't know, you found this and you analyzed this and all the little parts and how everything works together with such precision in order to tell time, that you would naturally conclude there, this had to be designed by someone. Nobody would find something with that level of design and think this just is here by an accident. This was just washed up on shore by the, by the waves. I mean, the waves might you know, push the, the you know, different size grains of sand in different levels, but that's not really design. But something like this 
you would conclude, and I think rightly so, that this was caused by a designer. The same way, he said, when we look at this world, we see so much design in this world that we should be able to conclude that there was a designer that was behind it all. And that, that is good, that makes sense, and that I think is a good argument, and I hope that you consider that. And uh, like I said, his book was called Natural Theology. You know, theology is the study of God. And so what some of these people were doing at that time was saying, well, you know, we don't want to just depend on, you know, the Bible. Uh, but what can we see from science, the world that they lived in, and, you know, technology is starting to advance. And they started to think of God like this grand clockmaker. And I thought, you know, a good clockmaker could just design a clock and with all its parts set into motion, and a good clockmaker doesn't have to come and keep adjusting it every day. He just sets it into motion and it's going to run. And some people, some of, they were called deists, that they had this view of God, that he just created the world. It was awesome how it was designed, but then he was able to just kind of walk away from it and just kind of run on its own. But he didn't need to be involved all the time. And then, too, you know, they were able to, you know, not worry about some of the, you know, embarrassment that they thought from the Bible and just look at nature and what it had to tell them. And they basically ended up throwing out the Bible because they didn't need it. But without the Bible, they lost their ability to explain both the design in this world and the dysfunction. When Charles Darwin came along and had developed his theory of evolution, actually it was many of the, the what he saw as flaws and pain in the, in the world that motivated him to develop his theory of evolution, to try to explain this world without God. And Darwin, when he looked at the pain and suffering in this world, he concluded that it could not have been the work of a competent designer. Pain and misery, like I said, was one of the motivating factors that caused Darwin to reject God and to develop his theory of evolution. You know, he studied nature and he said that nature is red in tooth and claw. And why would a, a good God design a world like this? In a letter that he wrote at one point, uh, he said this. He's writing a letter to a colleague of his. He says, There seems to me too much misery in the world. I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God, so God that's really good and that is can do everything, that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designed and created the ichnumenity with the expressed intention of their larva feeding within the bodies of caterpillars or that cats should play with mice. Now, he mentions an ichnumenity. Um, a few years ago, uh, my daughter Zoe, uh, who loves animals, loves nature, it's one of those times where uh, we got a caterpillar, and you remember this? It, and so she had a you know a bug, you know a cage, 
So you know, put it in there, and okay, we're going to put the caterpillar in, and it was neat to see. You, know, you put it in, and it you know, makes a cocoon or a chrysalis, and uh, later out comes a moth or a butterfly or something like that. So we had it in there, and yeah, it made the, um, you know, the, the cocoon that it was in, and we're waiting for, oh, okay, when's you know, the, the beautiful moth or butterfly you know, going to come out? And I remember you know, waiting with her and looking, and all of a sudden realized, oh, wait, the thing's, uh, it's opened up, but I'm looking in this. And it had been sealed the whole time. I'm trying to find where is, I don't see a butterfly. I don't see something here. We're waiting for this. And we're looking around. Hey, did it get out? Was there a hole in it? And there, there wasn't. But I looked carefully. I saw something else that was in there. And I took a picture of it. And so uh, we have this on the front porch. It's in the glass uh, case there. You can't really see it well. Let me give you another picture where you can see it a little bit better. And this guy was in it. And I remember reading that quote from Darwin before about the ignominity. I'm like, I wonder. And I looked it up and that's what this is. This was, and you know what these guys do? Okay, you have this caterpillar, okay, that goes and it's going into its, into its uh, cocoon or its chrysalis, which one, Zoe will correct me when I get home. Okay, and uh, it goes in there and it's going to do all this work and amazing, it's going to, deconstruct itself and then turn into a, a butterfly, a moth, whatever it was going to be. And these ichneumenides, these parasitic wasps, they come and they lay their eggs into the cocoon. Okay? And then it hatches and then the little larvae, they feed on the caterpillar that's in there, basically eating it alive. And so that's what hatched instead because it ate the caterpillar and this wasp jumps out instead. And that's one of the things that Darwin pointed to and said, I don't think God created this world like this. That that's messed up for that to happen. And you can look and find all kinds of other things that do look messed up in this world. But that's where if we forget the biblical storyline of creation, fall, and redemption, consummation, we lose our ability to explain these things that don't seem right in this world. We lose our ability to say that there's design, there's beauty, but there's also things that are messed up and things that, well, maybe it wasn't always like this. Maybe some of these things were different at a different time in the past when it originally rolled fresh off the, convey off the conveyor belts. So they'd forgotten the biblical storyline. Deistic arguments failed because they didn't take into account the biblical narrative. And therefore, they're unable to explain the real world that confronts us. Yeah, there's some apparent design flaws that are actually design trade-offs. Okay, we get that. Um, you, know, in, you pull out your phone. It's a lot of design trade-offs. How big do they want it to be? How heavy? How costly? How much battery life? Uh, you can't have everything all at once, and there have to be trade-offs. That can explain some things, but it can't explain everything. But if we believe in the biblical storyline, Genesis 1, 2, 3, creation and fall, and this is the present world that we find ourselves in, be, is beginning to be redeemed by Christ, but things are not completely repaired yet. The, the truth is, biblical Christianity is able to explain what other worldviews cannot. Nature, yeah, is designed. Butterflies are amazing. You think of what they can do. I, I don't see how... You could never convince me that a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly could be the result of chance. 
the result of successive little slight changes, slight mutations. I mean, think of what is going on there. It's going into this cocoon and disassembling itself. Nobody's helping it. And it turns into a completely different thing. This is like if your car could go into the garage, seal itself in there, nobody helping it. The the, your car disassembles itself and then comes out as a helicopter. Okay? That would take a lot, that'd be a transformer or something. <laughs> but it'd have to be designed. You would know that. But we live in a world with butterflies, but also, you know, these little parasitic wasps. Humans can do great good, create great beauty, technology. Humans can also hurt and abuse each other in terrible, terrible ways. When the world that God created rolled off the assembly line, it was in pristine condition. God inspected his handiwork and he certified it as good. Yet as soon as God handed over the keys to humanity, we took it, we got in the car and drove it right into a tree. That's what we did. Adam and Eve, our first parents, and we're united, we're joined in that. And don't just blame them, because every time we sin, we're basically taking a sledgehammer to it as well. And that's why we see the world that we live in, with this design dysfunction, beauty and brokenness. But in fact, this world is exactly what you would expect if biblical Christianity is true. Well designed, but in an accident. What is wrong with this world? It's broken because humanity rebelled against God. Let me give you three just kind of applications here as we finish this up. Learn to interpret life through the, the grid of the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview has four basic elements. If the, the Bible was a four-act play, creation, we talked about that, the original creation design of this world, it was good. Then the fall took place. The the, the accident that wasn't accidental, we did it intentionally, we, we damaged this world, we broke it. The fall, Genesis 3. And then, it doesn't stop there though. Praise God it doesn't stop there. The next is redemption. The author of the story, the designer, comes into this world in Jesus Christ. I mean, who, who does it? J.R.R. Tolkien didn't actually go into Lord of the Rings. Okay? A real author can't do that because the story is just a story. You could write yourself into it, but you're not really there. The author of the story actually came into the story and he lived the perfect life. And he did that. To, he came to save sinners like us. He came to save broken people. And we're not just broken, we're rebellious against him. Our hearts are in the wrong direction, but he loves you and he came to save you. And he came and he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross. Even though he was innocent, but he went there to take the place of sinners, to take our guilt upon himself. And he died and he rose again, demonstrating his, his victory over death, that he really was who he said he was. And this is what we talk about redemption. And if you trust Jesus Christ, the Lord, as your Savior, turn away from your rebellion and turn to him. The Bible says you can be saved. The only way to be saved is through Christ and him alone, uh, through grace alone. It's a free gift. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. And you receive it just by faith, by, by turning to him in, in uh, repentant belief, turning away from your rebellion and embracing him for who he is and what he did for you dying on the cross in your place. 
doing what you could have never have done. He lived the perfect life. He took your sin upon you. And that's redemption. And if you trust Christ as your Savior, and you could do that before you walk out of this room here, if you understand this, and we'd love to talk to you, the Bible says that you are a new creation already. He's starting this new work in you. But there's still a lot of junk. The work is not complete yet. Uh, There's no one here, even if you've been a Christian for the longest time, that you're done. Perfection now. Look how good I am. Nope, there's a lot. And I keep finding more stuff that's wrong with me too. But God is at work in us. He transforms us from the inside out, and that's what he'll do with you. But there's also something in the future for now. And we call that uh, consummation. There's other words sometimes we use, but Christ is going to return again one day. And eventually, he's going to make all things right. He's going to, make, he's going to defeat evil. He's going to uh, remove the curse, all the dysfunction, everything that we see in this world. He's going to defeat death. And things will be restored, not just to like they were in the beginning, but even better. Because now we'll know the love of God. You'll know that he loved you enough personally to die for you. And even though you realize you're a messed up, messed up sinner, he loved you that much. That's an amazing thing. That's the amazingness of grace. That's the amazingness of God's grace. And that's why we turn to him. And that's why we worship him. We worship him in gratitude, not earning our salvation or out of some kind of terrified uh, fear of him that he's going to destroy us again. Uh, But it's a a loving fear, a respect, a a gratitude, a love towards God. So learn to interpret life through this this grid. And it's going to mean adjusting expectations. If you expected your perfect life now, sorry, it's not going to happen. If you expected perfect health, you expected a perfect family, a perfect marriage, no, we're in the mess of life right now. God is at work and he can do amazing things, but our hearts are affected by sin, our relationships are affected by sin, and this world is affected by sin. I want to say to parents, one of the most important jobs that you can do is help your kids learn to interpret reality through the biblical worldview as well. Don't let them interpret it the way that just the world out there is telling them to interpret it. Give them the biblical grid to make sense of things. When things are good, when things are hard, help them to understand that as well, what's going on in their heart. I want to say too, believe the Bible. Uh, not just, be, be, just because of this, but this is a huge reason to believe it. Because it makes sense of both the beauty and the brokenness in this world. It explains life. It explains reality. People say, why do you believe the Bible is true? It explains just the world that we actually find ourselves in better than any other worldview could do. Because uh, some views don't really explain the beauty. Some don't really explain the brokenness. This explains kind of all of it. You know, I, while, a long time ago at a different place, I gave the, the car analogy at an outreach event. And there was a girl that came, a high school girl, and she had never been to church before. And she heard this message and she became a Christian, just like that. It doesn't always happen that quickly. A lot of times, most of the time, it's a long process these days. Uh, But she genuinely uh, became a Christian, trusted Jesus as her Savior. And we talked to her later, like, what helped you? And she said, that just made sense of life. Just reality all of a sudden just made sense. 
And I hope that that's what the Bible does for you as well, too. Realizing that it makes sense of reality. And yeah, there are things you can know about God just by looking at the world, okay? Um, There's things you could look at even in a crash car, and you could figure out what some of the things do. You know, if it's an older car, it's like, oh, okay, this makes the window go up and down, that's what it must be, and that's what this does. But there's other things that you wouldn't be able to figure out because they don't work the way it originally did. So natural law, if you want to call it that, has a place, but it can only go so far. And there's going to be some things that instead you need to look at the original owner's manual to find out how it was really supposed to work at the beginning. So we need scripture. And that's going to help clarify and add to things that we can't get just by looking at this world. Even though there are some things that you can figure out by looking at this world. Um, Finally, have hope. Have hope for the future in Jesus Christ. There was a lot in uh, Romans there that talked about not just this present reality, but the hope that is to come. And although we're going to talk about that more next week, I don't want to just leave you hanging with this. And the truth is, the world that we see now isn't the end of the story. God has a plan. And for, even for the brokenness, the pain, everything that you might be going through, God has a plan and a way that he is planning and already working behind the scenes to use this for his purposes that eventually leads to uh, his glory and your good if you have trusted him as your savior. Because his glory is your ultimate good. God has a plan. So turn to Jesus Christ as savior, as, as Lord, and trust him. And you'll be able to know that God is working all these things for your good. As I said, this isn't the last message. Creation fall is not the end of this. Next week we're going to come back. hope you can be here. What is the hope for this world? And the answer, I'll tell you in advance, it's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. And thank you that the Bible is given to be this roadmap for life and how it explains the world that we find ourselves in. God, we give you praise as the amazing creator designer that you are, Lord God. And we acknowledge that we live in a fallen, broken world because of human sin. But we realize this didn't take you by surprise. This wasn't uh, something that caught you off guard, Lord. And even from before the beginning, You had a plan and you knew what you were going to do. How you were going to redeem this world through Jesus Christ. And I thank you for all those that know Jesus Christ as Savior, that they've been forgiven, not because of their good deeds, but because of what Jesus has done. And thank you that because of Jesus, they are already a new creation, being transformed. Lord, I pray for anyone here that needs to come to you yet. Work in their heart, draw them to you, so they would trust you, Lord And they would bow the knee to you and accept Jesus Christ as their only hope, their righteousness, the one that came and did all the work for their salvation and dropping everything else, trusting Jesus Christ and embracing him. And we look forward to the day to come when you return in glory and when at the end of things you are victorious and you have made all things new. And the blessed it will be to be with you on that day. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our hope. In his name we pray. Amen.